Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Salty Pastor, a podcast designed like no other. My name is Jesse Mayer, I'll be your host, and the reason that The Salty Pastor is different from the usual podcast you listen to is because it's designed for people who believe their faith is their faith. They take their relationship with Jesus seriously. They're looking for tools, knowledge, and insight so that their faith grows stronger, deeper, and more courageous. They aren't interested in someone telling them what to think or what to believe. They don't want filters, narratives, or nomenclature. They want the truth of Scripture, the truth of Jesus, and the truth of the New Testament that changes the way we see reality around us. The Salty Pastor is for people who want to know more, do more, and be more. So let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> well, thank you. I didn't get the Douglas Peak today. I gotta mix it up a little bit. <laughs> well, I like the way you said that because one of the defining differences of Foothills Christian Church, for all of you listening, is that we not only want to know what the Bible says, we want to know how it influences the most powerful ideas and philosophies, the behind the scenes that are driving culture, society, and nations, as well as is what it is that drives us as human beings. We are very concerned that people embrace their own faith, grab a hold of their own faith. They take responsibility for their own faith because that's the only way you're going to be happy. That's the only way you're going to be courageous, more confident, more everything to navigate the world in which you live. Well, and especially when it comes to happiness, it's amazing how a letter from the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to a group of people living in a Roman city of Philippi is revealing the true nature mm -hmm. of happiness today in our time. So where it comes from, how we can develop it, and how we live in it, these are all covered in this letter from Paul. Yeah, and even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it is the revelation of God. It is inspired by God. Therefore, when we take a moment to simply know what it's actually saying, and I think historical and philosophical context is critical to understanding the core principles that are being revealed by God through the hand of Paul, in particular for this letter, we find life-changing truths that last for an eternity. So today we're going to be digging into Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. Uh, last week, we discovered the link between confidence and happiness. Mm -hmm. Paul connects our confidence to joy, and then he points out if we put our confidence in personal achievement, we end up losing our happiness and eventually our confidence. On the other hand, if we place our confidence in knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection, we have an eternal confidence. Mm -hmm. So today, Paul shows us how we're implementing these into our lives and the challenges we're going to face when we try and live happy. Yeah, so let's go through this passage of scripture and discover what it's actually saying because it's going to help you understand how you not only must know what it takes to be happy, but you also need to walk the path of happiness. Right. And that requires something special. And so just remember in the first 14 verses of chapter 3, he's talking about where do you put your confidence? And we showed last week how confidence and happiness are intimately linked together. And so now what he says is, look, verse 15, therefore, so whenever you see the word therefore, that means what he's about to teach is directly linked to what he just talked about. And that is, do we place our confidence in knowing Christ for an eternal confidence? He goes, therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. 
And then he puts a little descriptor in there. If anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. So he's not trying to be argumentative with them. He's just saying, look, we who are mature should have this attitude. However, let's keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. So maturity is about maintaining a spiritual standard. And so people who are mature in faith have an attitudinal responsibility. And uh, I love seeing this happen in young people when they start to realize this. And Who do you consider young? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking of my uh, third child, Jake, who I have heard of him. You have heard of him. Yes, you know him great. You're you're kind of mentoring him right now in the ways of of media and production. But what's happened is it, it, he he has the capacity to do well in school, you know? He's a smart kid. And but in the past his challenge wasn't whether he was smart enough to do it, it was whether he was motivated whether to do he it. Did it or yeah, not. whether he actually did it, you know. And so that was so frustrating to see his grades fluctuate so dramatically. And of course, you know, we, we, we try to be attentive. And so we immediately would email the teacher or whatever. And they'd say, oh, we love Jake. He's great. He just has 14 missing assignments. <laughs> cool, cool. And so that is not an issue of smarts. <laughs> Or intelligence that's just an issue of discipline right getting yes. it done and so what happened is he this year you know he's doing really really well and he realized that it's better to start off doing all the work up front because catching up and bringing your grade up takes twice as much work and you have to cram it all into December when you want to just eat food and and, and enjoy the season, right? Right. So at the beginning of this year, you know, uh, he didn't do as well on, on one of his assignments or tests. And he says, I, I just want to redo it right now because I just want to get it back up, right? right? So he wants to maintain the standard because coming back takes twice as much work and effort. And it's so much more pressure and stressful. You sound like every physical trainer I've ever gone and seen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so much better to keep it than losing it and trying to get it back. And that's what Paul's saying is that if you're mature in the faith, what, what is it about joy? This baseline attitude of joy that you have, you, you're now a confident person, a courageous person, a faith filled, faith directed person. You see the world through a lens that makes sense to you. It's not all chaos anymore. It's not all confusion. It's not filled with fear and uncertainty. So you have that. So you should, if you're a mature person, maintain that standard. And he then tells us, verse 17, how you do that, brothers and sisters, by joining, by, join in following my example. So join me in the example that I have set and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So follow my example, which is a really big deal. And he says, and then watch and follow those who are walking according to this pattern that we've obtained. So, in other words, find the people that are being successful at it and then f watch them, observe them. And this is where we see the standard of discipleship, which is following another one's example, really come to the surface in Paul's thinking about joy. And that is, is that find these people who are mature in the faith and they're joyful and then follow their example. Do what they do. Observe them. Draw from their 
wisdom. And so mentorship, or is what kind of what we would call it today, or discipleship, which is the New Testament term for it, is really a way of life. It's a pattern. So he says, observe the people who are walking according to the pattern. So it's a way of life. Right. And now I noticed that another one of Paul's shifts in themes um, as he calls out some people, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is this is not a digression. Mm-hmm. Of, as we've been doing this podcast together, I'm learning more about how these guys write. Mm-hmm. Um, but an important part of his thought process instead of a digression. So my question is, who are these people that he's calling out and how is it connected with his overall principle? Yeah, so he's talking about, okay, follow some an example, Take mentorship important for maintaining this pattern of life for joy, right? And we've talked before about how joy is that baseline attitude. It's not a mood, okay? It's, it's just that stable baseline attitude that you always will regress to, regardless of if it's a good or bad thing happening to you. And this, look at what he says in verse 10. He goes, now many walk. So there are people who don't live according to this pattern. Okay, there are many who walk of whom I'm often told you. So I've warned you that there are people out there that don't walk to the same pattern that we do. He goes, and I now tell you, even as I weep, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame. And they have their minds on earthly things now there's a debate in the scholarly world of who is he actually referencing because he doesn't give him a name some people say well in the first part of this chapter he talked about the judaizers you know the dogs the mutilators of the flesh i think though if it was that case he probably would have called them dogs right you know he he kind of re-referenced them right uh it could be a group of people that were called uh antinomians and paul addressed the antinomians in Romans, where he says, do we go on sinning so that grace might increase? May it never be, because how the, of those of us who died to sin still live and walk in it? And an antinomian was a person who was like a universalist. And that is, is that, well, I'm saved by grace, by God. So it doesn't matter how I live or what I do. You know, it, so it was a, a form of licentious living, you know, because, hey, doesn't matter. God will forgive me. You know, it's it's uh, just recently I've, I've talked uh, I've talked about this before, but just recently I told a story of uh, a young man and he just encapsulates his thinking. He said, well, I prayed that God would give me a bike. Uh, then realized God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but see, it captures this mentality that, you know, uh, well, God's grace. Just, so that's what an antinomian is, is they, they don't follow any rules, any guidance, anything at all. Uh, but probably he doesn't really make reference to them a lot in this letter at all, even though they existed. And we're not sure that they were in Philippi because Philippi was pretty far north. It's deep in Roman. It's a Roman colony. You know, a lot of Romans and Roman citizens and so forth. Um, probably really who he's referring to is just pagans in general. And so we went to Philippi. He met a lot of people. And initially some people probably responded to this message. Oh, this is kind of cool. But then when they thought about it, eh, so they rejected Christ. They mocked it, you know, and they were they're more interested in just their appetite. Uh, they were living in a way that was shameful, you know, meaning, uh, you know, even the Romans, uh, they were pretty, pretty wild in their sexual norms and stuff like that. 
but they tried to keep up appearances in, on some things. These people were just like, well, I'm just, I don't care. Do what they want. And they gloried in it. You know, look at me. I'm a, you know, a vile drunk or I'm this or that. And this is my glory, you know, being uh, uh, a person totally immersed in the pleasures, which uh, uh, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Aristippus who postulated that the purpose of life is to fulfill your pleasures. And so he was the father of hedonism, they called it. And, of course, other philosophers, ancient Greek philosophers, came along and debunked his theory uh, quite uh, uh, specifically and effectively. So what, what we see in verse 18 is a group of people that lost the attitude of joy and that baseline and so their end is their destruction or their destruction is in their shame and um uh well at the very beginning of verse 19 he says their end is destruction um and i think that's really interesting is that their lives were destroyed by this which was not about happiness or joy it was just about terrible things so why in this letter that seems to be so focused on your joy did paul take the time to call out these people that you know, are doing these things. Well, I think it's because maturity is about staying the course, living this pattern of life, maintaining a standard. And we can lose that baseline attitude of joy. We can, if we allow people to influence, influence us in ways we don't recognize, you know, and, uh, it, it happens all the time, you know, um, uh, uh, people go off to college, right? They're real involved in their church, involved in their youth group, they want to live their life's dream. They get into the college they want in Arizona or California or back east or the Midwest or wherever they want to go. And so they go to college and they come back, you know, a year later and they're like, why am I so depressed? You know, why am I so unhappy? And what some people tell them is that, well, you're unhappy because you believe in God. And, and if you believe in a God, that makes you feel guilty. And they're like, yeah, I don't like feeling guilty and ashamed. Um, so what they're doing is they're listening to people whose end is destruction. God is their appetite. You know, uh, instead of saying, maybe I'm living in a way or doing things or being influenced in a way that's making me depressed. Because I wasn't depressed before I went to college, but I'm depressed now. Right. You see, and, and what Paul is saying is that, look, people can influence you in ways you never know. And these are what these people are like. And so these are markers. They're red flags that you can look for in another person's life because they can be super funny. They can be super fun. They can, you know, have a, a carefree attitude about life. But in the end, are those people really good for you or is the end of their lifestyle destruction? So this is why having a mentor, I think, as he talked about earlier in 17 about discipleship is so critically important because what it does is it helps guide your spiritual growth when you meet and engage with the world in new levels. Right. And so you can kind of navigate that because notice what he says in verse 20. Uh, after he talks about them, he says their end is in destruction. And then verse 20 goes, now us, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. It's not on earthly things. It's in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior. So now that's our focus in life, eagerly waiting for Jesus. Verse 21, who will transform the body of our lowly condition. So he's going to come and he's going to transform me into conformity with his glorious body, the glorified new. 
And this happens by the exertion of the power that he has. And this is revealed in that he can subject all things to himself. So what he does, let's break this down. First of all, he affirms their identity. Our citizenship is in heaven. And he says, people who are maintaining the standard of joy walk with a mentor to help them stay eager for Jesus Christ. People who live in in discipleship or walk in discipleship to maintain that standard are focusing on the essential parts of life. He's going to transform me into the conformity with his glorious body. And then ultimately, he says, people who walk in discipleship or maturity, the pattern to which we've attained, will experience the exertion of God's power in their life. And this is where real joy explodes in your life. It really does. It's when you see yourself focused on Jesus, eagerly awaiting, maintaining the standard, a mentor or a discipler has helped you achieve to this, and then you start experiencing the exertion of God's grace. You know, you don't feel like a salmon swimming upstream so you can spawn and die. You know, you start feeling like, wow, this, man, this experience was really sweet and deep and awesome and fo- so fulfilling. Oh, this, this, your, your, this, rela- excuse me, this relationship that I have is just totally... Um, new and awesome. This is where people who've been married for 20 years fall even more in love with each other. This is parents whose kids grow up to their glory, you know, because they see the exertion of God's power in their life. And so that's a big deal. So the main context of our study has been on happiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, You showed us how living in happiness or joy is about you know, changing your baseline attitude. We, we miss out on being happy because we focus too much on changing our mood instead of changing our disposition. It, it seems Paul is teaching that we must choose who will coach, guide, and encourage us so that we maintain the standard of joy we have obtained. Yes, exactly. And here's something special because we talked about early on, you know, there's a special thing that we need to walk the path. It's not enough just to know the path. And uh, if I may be so bold as to quote the Matrix, you know, Morpheus says to Trinity, you know, she goes, what's going on? And said, he's starting to believe, <laughs> you know, and she goes, I love but, pop culture. References. I know, but he but he was told he's he's not the one. And he said there's and then he tells uh, Neo, he says there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And mm. that's true. I mean, that's just an axiom through all aspects of life and someday we will get into the philosophy of uh, i can never pronounce he's a french philosopher bouillard and he's the one through which the matrix actually based their entire storyline on is oh, his fun. philosophy yeah so we could talk about that someday maybe what we ought to do is do a whole series on on movies and that would be really fun uh, would you like that yeah maybe we yeah that would because all be movies are drama and all drama is based upon a philosophical construct and most people don't realize that yeah. They don't know that. The salty pastor goes to the movie. He goes I to can the- see it in headlines now. <laughs> so maybe we'll do that. That would be a lot of fun. But back to this point, and that is, is that uh, what he's saying is walking the path requires something special. And what that is, is choosing the right mentor in life. Okay. Now, and here's the deal is you can choose, choosing a mentor is so important because if you choose poorly, the outcome is poor, but a good mentor protects you. 
right? So you, you don't want a mentor that controls, right? You want a mentor that guides, and that's about protection, you know? Uh, like when I was uh, teaching, you know, my sons how to shoot, and when I teach them how to shoot, I'm like, okay, don't stand that way because uh, you're going to get scoped. You know, if, you, if you're looking through a, a scope on a rifle, you know, a hunting rifle, and you're going to shoot, sometimes people, what they do is they get too close to the scope, right? And then they pull the trigger, and it, it's called getting scoped. Whacks cracks you in the, in the head. head. It cracks yeah. you in the head, yeah. So I'm just like, uh, okay. You want, so a mentor will protect you. In the same way, a mentor wants to protect your joy and protect your happiness and your mindset, your attitude of your heart and your soul. Uh, a mentor wants to inspire you, right? A mentor's not interested in living vicariously through you. A good mentor is just, I want to inspire you to go out and live your best life. And, that, and that's what I think is unique about Foothills is because I think a lot of churches, people who do what I do, have a very specific vision about how you're supposed to uh, live life, you know, how to, how to think and how to behave, and that their job is to convince everybody to think and behave that way. That way. And so a lot of people are real followers of that. They need that. They need that structure. They need a pastor that calls them out and, and, you know, does all these things all the time. And, um, I'm not opposed to people who need that. Maybe they need that. They come from a traumatic background or a too loose or whatever. They need that uh, emotionally and structurally to grow spiritually. That's okay. If that's the case, Foothills is not your church. (laughs) And I don't mind saying that because Foothills is finding people who are, I want to think for myself. I want to grab a hold of my faith. I want it to inspire me. And good mentors do that, right? They inspire you to become better. They're not interested in controlling you to do it their way. Because there's no such thing as cookie-cutter success, is there? It's always changing. And every person has to find their own way. And if you've raised kids into adulthood, you know this to be true. Is that... My children. You can't use the same template on each child. On each child. They're so different. And what's fascinating is... My children are basically a reflection of my wife and I, okay, but at different levels. So the mix is different in every one of my children, and then that presents in a multitude of different ways, right? And so mentors are like parents who are really good at raising kids because they're interested in seeing you figure out who you are, your identity and what you're called to do. And they, so they really inspire you. And that brings happiness because early on we talked about how uh, your happiness is definitely linked, changing that baseline attitude to discovering your reason for existence in life. Right. And then the next thing it's linked directly to what you choose to do with that purpose. So we talked about that and how humility is critical in that process. Uh, good, a good mentor will focus you on your identity more than anything else, right? Right. Uh, a good mentor is all about legacy. And a good mentor just wants to give over what they have to you so that you can pick up and run with it. So, um, so I think it's really, really critical to have a really, really good mentor in life. And what, what I think is so important about mentorship is that without it, I think you're going to find it really difficult to walk the path of happiness. And so that's why mentors are so important. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about this on 
on uh, Thursday's podcast when you talk about the world in which we live and why mentorship is so important. But uh, I've, I've been thinking over and over again about this massive shift in the church right now in America because of COVID. You know, people can't meet together and, right. and how they think. And so it got me thinking and I shared this with the staff. And it's just I was asking the question over and over again, and that is, how has the church survived the last 2000 years? Because when you study history, you know, going back 2000 years, you think, wow, the church is amazing. It survived every political system that you can imagine. Well, and I mean, there's very few things that have survived this. Yeah, that aren't the church. That like. are, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's, it survived dictatorships, monarchies, tribalism, fascism, totalitarianism. It survived communism, socialism. It's, it, it survived republics, uh, oligarchies, aristocracies, even democracies that have gone bad. It survived all of those things and it continued to grow. How could it grow? when it was outlawed and persecuted in the first 300 years. You know, it survived every economic upswing or downswing you could ever imagine. It survived famines, war, disease, and pestilence. It's even survived its own self-inflicted wounds. You know, it survived bad management. You know, before the Reformation, there was the Bourget popes, you know, one of the popes ran a brothel out of the Vatican. Oh you know, I mean, these people were corrupt beyond belief. Even leaders inside the church become corrupt. Uh, there's been poisonous ideology that it adopted. Uh, and more and more and more, I go on and on. Maybe we'll talk more on this on Thursday. But the, my question of is, how did the church survive all of that? How did it manage all of that? Well, first and foremost, it's because God is sovereign and it's his church, right? And, and he's always, the Holy Spirit is uh, living and active. It's always purifying it, right? But how does that, in a real pragmatic, practical way, work itself out through all of these situations? Because when the church is outlawed and you can't meet and you can't teach, and you can't publish any literature and you can't have any movies or shows or TVs or radio and the whole culture over ridicules it, hates it, hunts it down and persecutes those people, kills them, arrests them, won't let them do business, pushes them into poverty. And yet the church continued to grow. How did it do that? It did it through discipleship one-on-one -on -one relationships and those relationships are how the church grows so mentorship discipleship is not only critical for you maintaining your baseline of joy you know that level of maturity you've attained but it is also critical for the health and the vibrancy of the bride of jesus christ the church that is some very powerful. I'm excited for Thursday now. <laughs> not that I'm not usually excited for Thursday. But You're super excited. I'm super excited. <laughs> well, my mentors have played a big part in my life too, so I'm mm -hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued by what you have to share on that. So, yeah. is there any uh, major takeaways you want to summarize for today? Well, yeah, I just I'd, I'd like to say that um, uh, Pastor Harv is going to be preaching on this. And I, I this picked this Sunday. up this He's coming Sunday. Here. He's okay. going to be preaching on this. And, and one of the reasons why I thought it'd be important for Pastor Harv to do it is, is Pastor Harv is such a gracious person, you know, and he tells everybody in the church, you know, 35 years ago before I became I was Christian, you know, I met Doug in college and he discipled me, led me to the Lord and he discipled me. And I just like to state for the record, when it comes to discipleship, Harv vastly outpaces me. <laughs> I mean, he is, he's one of the best at it. 
and he is so good at it. And uh, he he is so far beyond me in just the nuances of it, the investment of it, how it works. And uh, I just think it's really amazing to see what he's done just uh, in the short time that he's been in Boise. But you look at his life and you just look at the influence that he's had on people. And uh, one of the reasons why at its core is because Harv has become an excellent mentor, an excellent discipler. So I can't wait to hear his teaching on this and this passage and sharing with us what it has to do. And, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I've gotten better at it over the years just because I've done it and done it and done it and done right. it. But the real expert, the real professional is Harv. And so it's going to be a real treat to hear him teach on this and share on this. And anybody that knows him is going to be inspired by him and how he disciples and mentors people. Well, now I'm excited for two days this week. So, <laughs> Well, we appreciate you guys joining us here on the Salty Pastor today. Uh, make sure you tune in on Thursday. We're going to dive deeper into this, talk more about mentorship. And then mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't been... Maybe uh, throw in the comments what you think about our the salty pastor goes to the movies idea. We want to hear if you that would be intriguing. <laughs> would that to be you. fun? Yeah, if you guys are interested, uh, send us a comment on on the YouTube channel. Send us an email, whatever. We want to hear if that's actually something you're interested in, and we can make a good decision based off. Yeah, that, so. and please subscribe to our YouTube channel and subscribe to the Salty Pastor. Yeah, on whatever podcast platform you mm-hmm. favor. So thanks again, and we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor. (laughs) Blessings, everyone.